Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is a course that I made on my YouTube channel regarding memcached, a very popular in-memory key-value store. Um, made a crash course on it. Talk about their architecture. While there are some demos and things that you have to watch to understand, I stripped out the demo portion and I thought it would be a good idea to make it into a podcast because most of the stuff you just listen to you know because i'm going to talk about the memory management the architecture the threading the socket management the networking aspects tcp protocol that memcached uses the udp and stuff like that and i thought the lru the least recently used algorithm so i thought it would make a good podcast episode i usually don't put every youtube video as a podcast but this makes uh makes sense right so apologies if there are like some things that require visual but i think most of the stuff does not so hopefully you can listen to this in the background uh, while working out or you know driving and so hope you enjoy it let's get into it Welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcast. With that said, let's get on the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Memcached is a simple in-memory key-value store written in C. Uh, I was originally, I think, written in Perl and then rewritten in C. This is back in 2003, so it's been a while. And it has been popular with uh, companies such as Facebook, Netflix, Wikipedia. Facebook, I think, pushed it to its uh, limit, you know. And the most, uh, and the reason it's why popular is because of its simplicity. And we're gonna talk about that. I know we throw the word simple a lot these days, but Memcached is truly simple. I mean, if you're looking for advanced features, it's not here. It was designed to be simple, solve the problems of the web back in 2003, which is we wanna help alleviate the queries to the database. We're, we're you know, we're, we're, the databases are taking a hit, you know, so let's cache things. Although I usually do not agree with having a cache to solve a slow query, because I think 
personally, I think it's a cop out, you know, to to just add a cache when you have a slow query. You have to understand why it's slow. You have to understand why it exactly is taking time, why there are a lot of logic reads and how to minimize it. And that's another story for another day. But sometimes you need a cache, of course, right? And then Memcached was born, right? Of course, there are alternatives such as Redis. I made a video about it, but this video is to a crash course of Memcached. We're going to dive into the agenda here. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, there will be uh, chapters where you can jump into the interesting part of the things, but it's an in-memory database. We're going to talk about memory management. You might say, why? Well, we're going to find out. Memory management's not easy at all. You know, it's not just like, hey, just throw things in memory and then read it. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Could I talk about the LRU, the least recently used, uh, which was designed to avoid uh, growing the memory of this instance unlimitedly, right? Because you have to have a some sort of a, a mechanism to evict all the entries that has been never used. That's why you cannot really rely on memcached to have a value always there. It was never the goal of this cache, right? Unlike Redis. Redis, if you if you store something, it's going to be there, and you told it to be there forever, it's going to stay forever. It will make sure to stay forever. Memcached does not guarantee that. And you can argue that this is actually a feature, and you can argue that this is something you don't want, yeah? so tread lightly. Thread, we're gonna talk about the threading model because you have to have multiple threads uh, if you wanna serve a lot, a lot, a lot of clients with a lot, a lot, a lot of TCP connection connected to this thing. Read and write, we're gonna go through examples of a read, example for the write, and okay, gonna uh, open the hood, and look what is inside this beautiful thing. Locking model, obviously, uh, two people trying to write in the same item. It's not as advanced as ACID, obviously, where you have isolation levels. No, it's a serialized model where we try not to have two people read the same item at the same time or write uh, the same item at the same time. So locking. And we're going to talk about the, the old model and the new model. That's where you really try to understand what how things are built is completely different from the way we explain it distributed cache i know they say it's a distributed cache but i kind of don't like to say that because in itself memcached is not distributed it's just when you spin up a memcached instance three memcached instances they don't know about each other and they will never be right? The client is responsible for the distribution. So I kind of reluctant to say it's a distributed cache. I know people call it a distributed cache. I don't like to do that. But hey, it is a distributed cache if you if you, if you put the distribution on the client side. And I think this is part of the beautiful, simple design. They, they on purpose, they didn't make it distributed to make it simple. And then we're going to go through a demo. We're going to use Docker because you can spin up a lot of instances in, in Docker really easily. Let's do that. So, in memory key value store, what's that really? Uh, we're going to talk about some terminology here uh, specific to memcached. An item, that's what they call it. An item is really what uh, consists of a key and a value. A key is usually should be unique, right? And a value could be literally anything. A key has to be a string and it maxed out at 250 character. You can see the limits, right? That's why I think uh, Redis 
kind of won the cash game when it comes to this thing because Memcached has a lot of limits and uh, this kind of uh, you know crippled some people from using this cash because of these limits right but you can argue also the simplicity of this design and if you can work around the the design to use Memcached it, it's actually pretty nice right when, when they say key as a string they did that for a simplicity reason to right if you if you support like dates uh, or or i don't know like blobs as keys then things become really complicated and the shows in the architecture and if there is a bug it's really hard to track down right and the value can be any type uh, it's by default one megabyte again another limitation in memcached you know I, I you can see that i i talk about limitation but these limitations technically to me i i see them as features you know because they didn't claim to be like the best in the world they said hey we are designed to be simple and i appreciate and i completely love that you know when you say i want to build something simple the simple thing has limitations right the simple thing will by design have limitation when you look at the big picture right it's not going to have like tons of features right so yeah you can configure this to to increase it but again it's not really a good idea all the time uh, keys have expiration date ttls right time to lives and uh, even that don't rely on that right even if you put like a key that has like a one hour and your memory is filled, the LRU will can kick in, and if you never use that key, it's gonna get affected. And they tell you that, right? Hey, Memcached is a transient. We're not gonna make sure that it's actually persisted. It's not supposed to be that, right? Again, we'll, go, we'll always go back to the, the requirements here. They never meant, right, for this to be a persisted cache forever, right? You don't rely on that. You can use it to help you avoid expensive queries but yeah be ready at any time that this value is not going to be there everything is stored in memory right that's by design cache memcached again don't confuse memcached with memcached db that's a completely different project and i think it's abandoned since 29 2009 right but yeah memcached is still going and facebook and i think uh, mark zuckerberg gave a presentation about memcached as well as at some point how they tuned it to its maximal values let's talk about memory management here's the memory right when you allocate items you know when you say hey i want to allocate an array and i allocate an integer and i will allocate uh here's a block of memory you know these items that you allocate and even your new program today they're gonna go in random places now they yes the process has a dedicated memory area but when you allocate these things go random so the grain is allocated they're going to go to random places right yeah initially they might be consequent but as you uh, remove and free items you're going to end up with these gaps so you might say well, what's wrong with these gaps the problem is like this is called the fragmentation What's wrong with fragmentation? Well, you're gonna have like a little bit, a few bytes here, a few bytes here, a few bytes here, a few bytes here. But if you want like a big bulk of memory location consequent, let's say you want one meg, you have one meg, but it's fragmented. And guess what? If it's fragmented, you cannot use it. You cannot just allocate here, oh, my part, and then this part here, and this part here. I think the, the operating system allows you to do that, maybe. But then it will, it will thrash left and right to 
collect what you have, right? We had the same problem with hard drive, I guess, right? Back in the days or the fragmentation where the the seek, you know, the, the needle has to, to go multiple places to fetch your files because it's a circle, right? This this disk and has the if, if you store a file and you start editing the file, the files will go to multiple sectors and to read that file back you have to go sector one. Sector two. This was supposed to be like a, a rotating disk. I failed miserably. But you get the point, right? So memory fragmentation is bad. We try to avoid it, right? New items can on, can no longer fit. So what what did they do? So memcached at least, what they did is they allocate pages in a state, even if they don't use it. He said, hey, when you start, I look at a whole page, one meg. Again, that's that's the design, right? That's the reason why we have one value up to one megabyte. You cannot go beyond that. So they say, hey, let's start with one meg. So if they allocate, they allocate a one meg, the whole thing. They don't use it. Technically, to the operating system, you, the cache, has used one megabyte. It doesn't know it, right? That it's not actively using it. The clients, us connecting to memcached, we're not probably, we're using like part of that memory. Does that make sense? But this avoids fragmentation, right? Because now, all of this, just one big page with a lot of empty space, right? But it is allocated. And then there is this idea of chunks, right? So the pages are broken down into equal size of the they call chunks. So uh, keep these in mind, the terminology in mind. The chunk is a fixed size. And what determines the chunk size is actually something called the slab class, right? And uh, the slab is, think of a slab. Every time I hear the word slab, I remember Dark Souls, you know, it's a video game where you have the last item that you require in order to upgrade your weapon. It's called a titanite slab, where it's just like really large rock that you use in order to upgrade your weapon. It's, a, it's, it's basically a, a, a big thing, a slab of meat, they say, right? It's just a big thing. That's what it means. So this idea of slab and slab classes will always show up here. So it's like a big portion of memory. A slab class is what defines the chunk size, right? So there is, there will be a slab class of uh, 40 bytes. There is, will be a slab class of a one meg. So the chunk sizes will be 44 bytes, right? And the chunk sizes for a slab class of that type is one meg. So we're going to show an example to, to, to show that of stuff. And the pages consist of fixed chunk size, right? Items are stored in chunks. Here's the, the very important item. So your item will be stored in the chunk. Your chunk size can be, let's say, uh, 100 bytes, right? If it's 100 bytes and your item, which includes the key and the value, is less than 100, you're going to include the whole chunk, right? So if it's 90 bytes, you lost 10 bytes within that chunk. Nothing to do about it. Sorry, right? That's one limitation here. So there, there will be a free space, a tiny free space in the chunk. And obviously, each slab class has a fixed chunk size. So that's how they are determined. It's going to be clear as we go through that. Obviously, uh, avoid memory fragmentation. Here's an example, right? So here we have a slab class with a chunk size of 72 and subclass 1. And slab class 43, for example, the chunk size is 1 meg. So you have in a single page, right? So slab class have multiple pages. And sometimes they call them also these called slabs. 
the word slab in the documentation is so overloaded and I've seen people use it one over the other. So I avoid using it, the word slab. So a slab class and their pages, right? So this page, in this case, we said one meg, right? And the chunk size 72 divided, that means we have 14,563 chunks per page, but each chunk is 72 byte, right? So if you have an item around 72 byte, fits nicely in this, right? But if your item is larger, let's say 900K, then, oh, it doesn't fit this slab class. So we need to, uh, let's, uh, let's find out what is the subclass for this item. Oh, subclass 43, because the closest one meg. And guess what? The one, <laughs> the one meg class, sub slab class, has this entire page is one chunk, right? So this is really important to understand here, right? So that's how they allocate memories. This is, we're looking at the internal architecture of uh, memcached here. Right. Let's go run an example. I, new item, 40 byte, 40 byte. The closest thing is this guy, right? Slab class one. Let's allocate memory and then boom. No, we don't allocate memory. This memory is already allocated, right? We just store the item right in this chunk and then we start adding pointers and stuff like that here. So now our item is right here. And we're going to talk about the hash table and stuff like that. But this is just, again, memory management. Let's say I have a new item, 900K. Oh, this fits right here. So one big chunk in one page, right? So that's interesting. Let's say another a new item, 40 byte. But guess what? Slab class, uh, slab class one, because that's the what the chunk size is, fits it nicely. But guess what? We have two pages. They're all completely full. So I cannot insert this. What do we do? Create a brand new page. Put that thing here. Does that make sense? So we allocate a new page. And when you go to the demo, we're going to see all this stuff, right? We're going to do a stats and see like, oh, how number of pages allocated is this, right? So it's just, I, I absolutely love how they did this. It's interesting. Obviously, does it, does it have limitation? Of course. But you're going to see that depends on the sizes of the item, you say. And once you really understand how things work you're you can architect your application specifically the back end here front end doesn't really talk to memcached at all right the back end here can be architected so that you can choose the perfect items right to fit this entire thing right you're not gonna just choose haphazardly right that's how you know your craft effectively all right let's get to the meat lru least recently used you know the main problem with memory is it's limited you know and even if memcached allocated certain amount of memory if you store a lot a lot a lot of keys even with good expiration date memory can get full what do you do do you block new inserts i would say that's that's one feature that you can add i suppose but but memcached don't allow you to do. They won't let you go to that state. You know, if the memory is be about to be full, then anything that hasn't been used for a very long time, they will release it. That's another reason where memcached is a transient memory. It do not rely on a key. Even if you set the expire for an hour, do not rely to that key to be 
to be there in an hour. It can't go any time, right? That's another limitation. That's another feature, right? I, I say limitation and a feature at the same time because it is. It is a feature, right? And it's, it's to some people, it's a limitation. And how do they do that, right? They use something called a link list. Have you ever heard about this before? And 20 years ago, 21 years ago, uh, in the university, I took a course on the CS101. Uh, CS they talked about linked list. And that is pretty much the only time in my entire professional career I ever used a linked list. <laughs> that's probably, I'm not saying that's just the case with my, the application I wrote. It's all high-level languages. I never had to write a database or a memcache, you know. So I never used the linked list, right? So doesn't doesn't mean that it's it's a useless structure is but it is it's an important data structure why because the least recently used is a linked list there is a head and there's a tail and every item is linked to each other so if all these items that you add are the in this architecture right they are in the linked list and there is every slab class has its own lru right so if i for example, access an item that is, happens to be in the tail, it will be popped and go back to the head. So there is a cost to accessing an item. There is a cost. There is a cost of removing this chain, putting that back, pulling the head to this, pulling this guy to this guy, pulling this guy to this guy. That's how you do a link list, right? So every time you access an item, it goes back to the head. So items that are not used, they will automatically be pushed down to the tail. And if the memory is out of uh, reach, basically, these items will be removed from the tail. But also another thing with uh, with this link list is like with threads, if you with which Memcached is is a multi-threaded app. How can you have multiple threads read the same items, right? You can't. You have to lock this structure. You know, if people who done multi-threading, you have to. You have to lock it. Right, and the moment you do locking, if you if you know about something about databases, which I I tease a course on database engineering, check out check it out. It's actually right here, database.husseinnasser.com. I talk about all this stuff, you know, in details and fundamental details. You know, so don't expect like SQL syntaxes in my courses, not like that. Right? I talk about fundamentals, which which you then build up and see how the client is built out. Right. But yeah, locks is a very critical concept here. You have to lock it to avoid this, you know, mutation, you know, corruption, right? But yeah, it's a cost. And there is an LRU crawler and a daemon that does the cache eviction from the tail, right? And again, every time it kicks out, have to lock. And if it's locked, people cannot read. People, threads cannot read. And if threads cannot read, latency, right? Block, slow, right? All of this, you got to understand when things happen, this is why. And I'm going to share my opinion about the LRU, right? And I think this is a good time. By the way, there is an LRU cache per slab class. I think I mentioned that. So the one meg slab class, right, which has like pages of one meg and the chunk sizes of one meg has its own LRU and each other sub slab class has its own LRU. By the way, I, I don't make, I'm, I'm making any of this up. I'm, I had to read frankly, maybe 20 different documents to collect this information and, and kind of present it in a summarized manner here, right? Because there is no one doc to explain all that, unfortunately, right? It's, it's not incomplete, unfortunately. That's what I noticed. And outdated. 
So my opinion about the LRU in my in my personal humble opinion is I wish Memcached actually disabled this by default. You know, LRU is a feature, right? And they, uh, the reason they added it, because memory is limited, especially back in 2003 when they first built this thing. Memory was so scarce or scarce. Is it scarce or scarce? Scarce, right? It's very limited. And when you do that, you don't want to run out of memory, right? So if you allocate certain amount of memory for memcached, it can easily run out, right? If you have a lot of keys. So how do you manage that? They say, hey, we're going to remove, we're going to build an LRU. Least recently items get kicked out from a memory. That's a fine, but I wish they disabled that by default or give us an option to disable it because the overhead of managing an LRU, and you can see from the papers I'm going to reference, is so large. The locks that they have to maintain slows down throughput, right? And, compl and complicate the application. So I think they stuck whoever built this 2000 in 2003 memcached brad fitzpatrick who's the original developer of memcached he built this for his website live journal you know i wish he disabled this by default i really wish because his original design is so simple and so elegant i absolutely love it you know you build something so simple with its features stripped there are no much features lru made it not simple unfortunately yeah, cool. Have as a feature, but disable by, by default. Or have an option to disable. I don't know if there's an option to disable. Maybe there is. But hey, I want to take the responsibility as a client. Right? If I'm going to allocate certain amount of memory because I'm responsible, I'm going to give uh, memcached 5 gig, 10 gig, and my application is smart enough to know to set expiry date. Right? for this item. And yeah, if I'm going to get errors, if it's filled up, it's on me. I want to delete an items. I want to do this management. This way, for 95% of the users who want simple things, they're going to get it. LRU, in my personal opinion, again, this is just my personal opinion. You can agree or disagree. I think should have, this should have been disabled because now they they created a new LRU, which is like has hot and warm and cold and, and they move stuff around because they have a lot of problems with LRU. Like moving stuff around all the time is so expensive, you know? So it, it has a cost. So let us just, how about, eh, give me an option not to use it and go back to a simple model of course I, I don't i don't mind if two items two users try to access the same two threads trying to access the same item at the same time let them be serialized that's fine right but lru as a whole thing i think is is just to me over engineering that's just my opinion you can disagree here's how it looks like by the way lru in the big picture again this is all drawings i made it uh I could be wrong in small details because I don't I don't know the actual architecture. So this is I derived these from reading the source code and the doc. So this is how it looks like. So this is this is where you talk about the pages, right? And the chunks. So the chunks or the items is what being uh, LRU'd, right? So the head is right here, and this is linked to this item, this link to this item, this link to this item, this link to that. This is the tail. So this is how it looks like. Every item here is actually linked to the next to the one next to it right this is 
think this, the, of this as a snapshot after many, many usages, right? Gets and red, the, so, so things will move to the head and the tail. Obviously, I didn't draw every particular thing because it's going to be a mess of a drawing, but you get the point, right? That's, that, that's how they allow you. And you can see how complex things get. So let's talk about threading. So this is one of the, my favorite parts. Uh, I know uh, I absolutely have, uh, I absolutely love networking. And if you're interested, I have a networking course. And, and this part is all about sockets, connections, the way listeners work, the way the TCP connection works. I talk this about this in detail in my network course. If you're interested, go to network.hussainnasr.com. Learn more about that. Net, again, network.hussainnasr.com. This URL redirects immediately to Udemy with the latest coupon applied. So uh, you're going to get a discount and you're going to be supporting this channel, this work. Thank you so much. There is, here is the threading model for, uh, for Memcached, right? Because it accepts clients, it has to have networking, right? So what they do is they listen on a TCP port, right? So that means they support transmission control protocol. That's the native transport that they support. They also support UDP, which I didn't mention here, but UDP has been now disabled by default because of an attack that happened four years ago, 2018, a reflection attack actually, right? With, with Memcached public servers. So there was the Cloudflare actually reported that. So UDP has been disabled by default. But yeah, you can use it if you want. But yeah, let's stick with TCP right now. TCP port 11211. And there is a listener thread. So one th spend up listener, one thread that spins up, it listens to port 11211. So that creates a, a socket, right? In the operating system speak, right? And that basically creates its own accept queue, its own send queue. This is how the applications start accepting connection, right? So everything, every single connection that is happening, the listener thread will accept it. So there is a loop, infinite loop here. Literally all application has this loop where it's constantly accepting uh, connections. One thread, right? So all the connections goes to this thread. So once it accepts a connection, it gets the file descriptor, we call it, right? Which actually represents the connection. And now what, what Memcached does is spins up a new thread, gives that file descriptor to that thread. Now, if a stream of data, if a request to get a key was sent to this connection, it will the operating system knows to send it to this thread. Well, technically what happens is the thread pulls the file descriptor, right? This is a, now, this thread is responsible for this connection. This thread is responsible for this connection. This thread is responsible for this connection. So you can see that <laughs> now this model just blows up, right? If one connection per thread, if you have so many connections, you can rather run out of threads, right? Or that kind of also bloats your memory and CPU. So be careful with that as well. I think they put a limit to the number of connections, Memcached. I might be wrong there. But yeah, so this is basically explains all of that. Now, the moment you have threading, now the beauty here is you don't have bottleneck, right? If you have one thread that is responsible for all the connections and listening, you, you will be blocked, right? One user will send a key and then another user will send a key. They won't be served, right? They have to be serialized. 
because there is one thread actually executing them one by one, right? But here, if one user executes a, sends a key request to get a key, and this guy want to write, they can happen at the same time, right? This thread will read it, and this thread will read it. They are different processing. This could be in a core, this could be in a completely different core. That could be also possible. Versus it's one thread, then it becomes really a, a problem. So we had to go with multi-threads. What's the problem with that? Well, <laughs> the problem is these threads will try to access what we call the LRU and the items and the memory. So everything is shared between all these threads, but you can't have two threads right to the same location. That's a problem. That's why the original design had one global lock. It was serialized. So in this case, yeah, the threads kind of helped with the connection, but, but you were serialized at the locking model. So nobody can even access two different items. Has nothing to do with each other. They were serialized. They were locked. So one thread has to be served after the other. They, they fixed that. They completely revamped that. Now it's a pair item lock. So if two threads try to access the same item, then it will be serialized. That's good. That's okay. I'm okay with that, right? But yeah, if I am accessing item one, key number one, and then another thread access key number two at the same time, they should be served at the same time. There is no reason for locking. And the only reason we lock is because we want to update the LRU. Again, so there is so much stuff that comes back always to the LRU. It's like, Omar, really? We, did we really need an LRU? Why? What if we disabled by default, right? Again, that's just me. Let's go through an example. A read. And this is something we never talked about here, which is the hash table. If you think about it, if you have a key, how do you actually find where this key lives, right? If you think about it, you need hash tables. Yeah? So what do you do? And I talked about the hash table in my YouTube channel. Uh, look up hashing and consistent hashing. I talk about details. Hash table is nothing but an associative array. It's really just an array. And the beauty of an array is if you have an array, right? Let's talk about it, arrays a little bit. If you have an array from, an array has to be consecutive. If you allocate an array of a thousand elements, accessing element number seven, accessing element number 1024 or 1023 is big O of one, is fast because you know the index. And once you know the index, you know the head of the array, you add the address to the index, voila, you have the address and the memory of the CPU can immediately go to that location. That's the beauty. You have an index. With hash tables, you don't have an index. You have a key. The trick is to convert the key back to an index. That is all what it is, a hash table. Nothing fancy. It's just an array. So we take that. What we do is the, do a hash on the key, right? Let's say I'm going to read test key, right? And then do a hash and then do modulo n, where n is the size of this array or the hash table, right? And then we, you're going to get a value between 0 and n minus 1, I guess, right? So now, okay. Let's go on, point it, and that's big O of one, plus the cost of the hash, right? Now you got here, found it. Now what you do is you're going to get a pointer which takes you to the page on that specific slab class for that item, which is happened to be D in this case. That's how a read works. So it's a big O of one. You can argue that this is one read and this is a second read. Yeah, I suppose. That works too, right? 
I think the the new model have kind of two hash tables, if I'm mistaken, but I couldn't find detailed docs about this, so I explained this. So apologies if this is a little bit out of date, but this gives you the idea here. The new two hashes, I think uh, they were provided to provide a pair item lock. And obviously, what happened here is, this is the LRU. You access the item, the D is pushed to the head, right? So now you have A, B, C, D. A is now the least recently used item, is in the tail. And A points to B, B points to C, C points to D, and obviously it's a reverse length as well. So D point to C, C points to B, P point to A, right? So that's how the LRU. Actually, what do you, if you think about it, the, the pointers are right here in the item itself, right? But I drew it this way for simplicity. Otherwise, it's not readable at all. Read two. This is another example for read. I'm going to read buzz. Hash the buzz. Get the in. Whoa. Get the item. Boop. Get a C. Nice. Now, when we read a C, the C is pushed to the head. D is slightly pushed and then obviously the LRU is updated and that, that's another lock right you have to do a lock to do that so if buzz and whatever the value before a test was read at the same time they are serialized at the LRU level if they belong to the same slab class again this might have changed with the new architecture they changed that a little bit so I think that you can you can play with that a little bit but again to update the LRU you have to you have to kind of acquire a lock. So you're going to be serialized right here. Yeah. Let's go through a write. I'm going to write key new of a value with 44 whopping bytes. Let's do that. Well, to write, we need to obviously find the hash, right? Where to write it. Hash, modular in. Get that puppy. Find where to write it. Oh, happened to be an empty location. Sure, that's good, right? And now you have questions. What if what if I happen to have something that is already written? You can. You can have collisions. Are we going to talk about collisions in a minute? Right? It's a problem of hash tables. Hash tables are fun and good, but the moment they you run into collisions and you want to resize it, it falls apart. But now I create a new pointer. This pointer. Now I need to allocate a slab class. Not a slab class. I need to allocate a, a chunk. We're going to put my item in, and that chunk goes into a specific slab class. Well, 44 bytes, pick a slab class, right? And even the slab classes, guys, by the way, it's not really fixed. You can play with those. There are configuration called the chunk, the chunk factor growth size. I'm not going to mention it here. It's just going to make the course a little bit longer. But you, you get the point. There are so many tweaking you can play with, right? Tweak these chunk sizes. But yeah. Allocate a new memory location in this specific page, in an empty page, in a fit, a fitting chunk, right? Because you want to pick a chunk that is almost fits right in the chunk, right? Not too small. Obviously, cannot be larger than the chunk size. So have to fit right into it, right? But then that's the the that's what the what memcached does. All right, let's spice things up. Let's say I'm going to write a key called Nanny, which is a new key. I don't have it before. And value 44. But it happened to clash with another existing key because that's hashes always do that, right? So when you do that, you hash Nanny and happen to be fitting on an entry that already have a pointer. What do we do? Do we overwrite it? No. What they did is, this is called a bucket, by the way. right? They add 
more item to the bucket. You know, we have one item, let's call it, I don't know, test or something, all right? And then we have nanny, which fits right in the same bucket. What we do is just, we make it into a chain, this chain of buckets, right? Actually, one bucket with two items, I don't know, right? Whatever the terminology doesn't really matter. You just read to understand. Let's turn back the laser here. And yeah, we're going to add it here. And then just do the pointer and do the do your thing. Now, obviously, we need to talk about a collision. What happened to a collision? I want to read the key nanny, right? Go here. Hash it. Obviously, go here. Oh, we have two. Which one? Ah, that's the cost. You have to go one by one through all of them, right? Why? Because now you have a hash. You don't know one of which one of these are actually nanny. What you do is read the first one, right? Check it, compare the key. Oh, because if you go to the item, you're going to find the actual key, right? That's stored here. So you're going to find it and say, oh, that's not nanny. That's something else, right? Let's go through the bucket. Go to the next one. There you go. That's my item. So here is a completely different paper that you can write here. This people take PhDs in this stuff, by the way, guys. You know, this is called the uh, the the scale factor. You know, Memcached measures this growth, and if it's too much, based on a certain percentage, if you're overloading, then then you're gonna see performance problems. Right, reading a key is going to have to go through multiple reads to find the actual key versus if it goes right here, hey, the key is right here. Of course, there's one entry. It has to be it, right? But if there's multiple, yeah, then it's a problem, right? I mean, you can you can think about it. You can argue that you can hash a key that happened to get to a value that is not there. So technically, you have to read it and compare because your key might not exist but it happened to hash to a value that it does, right? So you have to read it. So there is a cost to reading. So that's the problem of hash table. So and if that's the case, then they do a hash resize. And boy, when you rehash your table, they have to shift everything around. And I believe this is when they use the consisting hashing, which is this ring concept, which I talked about in another video. And that just gets really complicated. Right, because they now, now the moment you resize your hash table, you need to move stuff around. Because Nanny will not be this index number one anymore. It's gonna be index number seventy hundred, something like that, right? Seventy hundred is not a number. I think I'm gonna skip this because we talked about locking in a minute. Right, we talked about thre threads and then accessing the LRU and how it was a global lock and then it changed to a pair item lock and then still we have a ref counting you know every time you read an item you increase the ref count you know and when you release it you decrement the risk count this is for so the garbage collection can the garbage collection is written in c there is no garbage collector but the the the, the ephemeral application level garbage collection when all you kick in can remove the item because you cannot just remove the item if if someone is referencing it that's the definition of memory, memory leaks right all right let's talk about distributed cache and how it's uh, memcached is actually not a distributed cache in my opinion memcached servers when you spin up a memcached server memcached server they are completely isolated you cannot link a server to another server there is no mechanism to do that right when you spin up a memcached server 
It's a memcached server. It doesn't talk to another servers. And I absolutely love this design. How simple and elegant this is. Put the responsibility. If you want to do distributed, well, the APIs at the client side has to do that. And that's what we're going to show in the in the code section where we're going to write our own. Uh, we're going to use a, a Node.js application to do that. Oh, of course, we're going to use also Telnet to connect to that and write stuff, right? But we're going to go through all this stuff now. But yeah, what happens here is the client actually knows about all the servers. It has knowledge. So the client side actually does the distribution, right? So it's like, okay, key number one, go here. Key number two, go here. Key number three, go here. So there is a hashing going on, consistent hashing to be specific. You can build your own memcached client that does whatever you want, right? And then distribute that stuff. Well, what happened if I, if I add a, if I add a server? Well, your client can start distributing the keys. I would definitely not be with that because why would you distribute the keys for in a transient cache anyway who cares at a server is like oh yeah if, if the key is not there you're going to query the database and pull it up right it's it, it's not worth it to do this this chattiness to move items for, around from one server to another that's just a bad idea i don't know if clients do it maybe they do but i don't think it's re it's required it's just thrashing for the case thrashing database sharding Again, you you might if you know this channel, you know that I'm I try to, as much as possible to push it as the last resort. I do not like distributed stuff, especially so complex to deal with, right? I like simplicity. I'm a simple man, right? But yeah, sometimes you go, you have. You go to the YouTube scale and Google scale, then you don't have a choice. One machine cannot possibly handle everything. I would I would go with read replicas. I would go with partitioning, horizontal partitioning in the server itself. Minimize that as much as possible. I would go with RAID, you know, d distributed disk storage. But the application rem remain as a single writer. The moment you have multiple writers, and you have to deal with the sharding, it becomes really complex. You know, if you want to deal with the complexity, sure. But yeah, that's, that's the idea of distributed cache. Okay, let's do a demo. We're going to do a demo. We're going to spin up a bunch of memcached Docker instances. So for this exercise, just install Docker and you're good to go. And you have to have a Docker, uh, you have to have a Docker account because somehow they are locked behind an account memcached. I have no idea why they did they, they do that sometimes. Right, so you just create an account, do a Docker login, you're good to go, right? Once you do that, you can download the image and you can spin up as many memcached instances as you want. So we're gonna do that, I'm gonna use Telnet because I love the simplicity of memcached. You know how many clients these days that you can actually just Telnet and run comments to? They can be counted on one finger, you know? They don't exist anymore. The simplicity is gone from these from today's applications, right? The good old days of you just telnet and run. And one thing I didn't mention is Memcached doesn't have security by default, so that might be a, a deal breaker for you, right? So you have to you can implement authentication, which doesn't exist by default. Sassel, I believe they call it. You can implement TLS if you want, 
But by default, they don't have any of that stuff, right? So take it with a grain of salt, right? They say, they said simple. It is simple, right? But you have to be careful in a cloud environment when it comes to Memcached. You have to TLS it, right? They support that. There is a support for that. And obviously, we're going to use Node.js memcached for this consistent hashing. And I'm going to put all our Docker containers in and play with that a little bit. How about we do that? All right. We did the demo. Let's summarize. We talked about memory management. Memory is fragmented. If we didn't do the slab pages concept, then we're going to be allocating values left and right, right? And that, as a result... Uh, becomes fragmentation and the fragmentation is bad because now you have all these beautiful gaps of free space that we cannot use unfortunately right because our items might not necessarily fit these gaps right so we need memory management lru again uh, a very an unpopular opinion i i would like for this to be an option to be disabled so that i don't get locked right and keep my application simple and if someone wants to build an RRU, why don't they build it themselves, right? Or just have the client have the control. I wish they stayed simple and didn't implement this. Just That's just my only dis criticism of the Memcached. They, they stayed simple. They stayed to their rules. This is, to my, in my opinion, I think it's an overkill, right? Threads, I love this design. Yeah, we can work with money threads of course uh, there is a limit for the there is another problem with the thread design here is that let's assume you have multiple threads right and uh, each thread is a connection right let's say about that right and and when we looked at the data i think when we looked at the stat we saw that there is a fixed number of threads right and i don't know if this if memcached share connections on a given thread like have multiple connections on a thread i don't know that maybe because otherwise it's going to run out of threads right so in this case what you 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 can end up with is a thread with a connection that happened to have a very aggressive client a client that sends a lot of data to this thread you know so in this particular thing you create a bottleneck and that bottleneck really there is no solution to it because you don't know if a connection is going to be aggressive or light wait right you can you can change that complete model to a centralized thread model, where is a central thread that takes the messages, these requests, and these requests will be distributed evenly, right? You can do that. But then the bottleneck is moved to a single thread. You lose either way, right? There is no solution, the best solution. That's when you, when you, when you go into deep these things, like it's, it's fascinating to me. I absolutely love it. We talked about read and write, talked about locking, covered distribution cache, which is completely client side. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this uh, crash course deep dive level into memcached absolutely uh, i enjoyed researching this took me a lot uh, a month to research this entire course uh absolutely love it uh if you want to support the channel become a member there is a lot of uh, member exclusive content in this channel uh, if you want to support otherwise uh, there is the there is uh, i have a lot of udemy courses uh, there is discount coupons check out check the mouse and uh, that supports the channel appreciate you so much and thank you all for your wonderful messages hope you enjoy this course i'm gonna see you on the next one you guys stay awesome goodbye